saw Nathan grow up in this area. Now he's a school teacher. Now his family is in church. And now he's reading scripture on Sunday morning. Praise the Lord. What? Yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes. Oh, we see our kids grow up around us. It's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, it's a blessing. I have a grandson that has a birthday today, uh, Jared. So, uh, and I wanted to, speaking of birthdays, I wanted to thank you and appreciate you all having dinner for me on the 22nd like that. That was really special. And uh, so that was my birthday. For those of you that maybe haven't seen Ben Keeland for quite a long time, uh, he's around. Uh, he is that girl's over there, uh, twin. And um, Ben had a birthday today. Ben's birthday is today. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Joel. Joel is getting older. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Praise the Lord. We are um, looking at scripture this morning under the topic um, Paul's take on leadership. Uh, what, we've, what I've been doing here is getting in the book of Colossians and just kind of picking out some things that uh, have struck me as I have been studying the book of Colossians. So turn with me to Colossians, and we'll get back into the passage that Nathan read in just a few minutes. And, uh, but turn with me to Colossians, and, and uh, let me kick off the idea of Paul's take on leadership. We've all been placed in positions of leadership. We are all there, uh, whether it be in the home or in the church or at school or at in our job or in the community, everybody has a sphere of influence. Everybody is an example for somebody else. And in that example is our responsibility to be a leader and to lead them with a purpose. So we'll look at that idea of what Christian leadership is all about and how Christians should be leading. And Paul gives us some insights into that. Look in chapter uh, 1 of Colossians and it would be verse 25. Paul is uh, explaining what God has done. Uh, let me go to 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in, in filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. The word minister there, that the Greek, is trans, uh, the Greek word that's being translated, translated into English, is means servant. It just simply means a servant. So Paul was saying, I've been made a servant. God has bestowed on me the privilege of being a servant for you. And Paul spends the rest of his life having moved from a position of authority, of importance, as a Pharisee of Pharisees, of one sent out to 
persecute the church with a number of soldiers under his command to go out and find Christians and bring them back and punish them, he goes from that position of authority to the job within the church that God gives him of being a servant. And as we will see, as we are reminded, uh, that's what Christian leadership is all about. He is here seen as a suffering servant, not exactly what the world would call a great leadership position, but that's his position, a suffering servant. And he carries that out for us to, the, to his last breath. We often associate worldly leadership with authority, with strength, and with power. And it's interesting. In biblical leadership, it's exactly the same. It's authority, and it's strength, and it's power. But it's just not ours. As a Christian, it's the authority of the Word of God. It's the strength of God. It's the power of God that accomplishes his task of building his church on this earth. Our challenge is to understand and experience how that works out. How does, how does he take us when we don't want to exercise or we shouldn't exercise our strength, our power, our authority, personal, and we take that back and we take that out of the way and we let the power and strength and authority of God flow through us. We have to pull what we think about our authority back and let him work through it. That, that's not an easy task. And we have to change our thinking about a number of things. And so <clears throat> let's go to John chapter 13 where Nathan read and look at the example that Christ gave in Christian leadership. Now you're going to see three things here. And I'll tell, them, tell you ahead of time what I, what I see in this passage as absolutely essential for Christian leadership. Number one is compassion, love, compassion. Number two is humility. And number three is purpose. And I think this morning, if we can just think on those three things as we look through Scripture, we'll have a key to leadership, Christian leadership in our own lives, whether it's in the church, in the home, in the community, or wherever it is. Compassion, humility, those are sometimes uh, things that are a little hard for us, and purpose. It's interesting, if you, if you kind of take those three words and kind of look at them, and we're going to look at this passage in a second, but if you have compassion and humility, but you don't have a purpose, you don't have godly leadership. You can be compassionate, and you can be humble, but you don't have a passion for a purpose. Or you can have passion for a purpose and not have humility 
and not have compa uh, compassion, and that's not godly leadership. So it's compassion, humility, and a purpose. Let's see if we see that here in this passage. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So right away, right at the very beginning of this, the whole scene is set in God's love. God's love for his disciples. He knows what he's going to be going through on the cross at this point. That is right in front of him. That's just around the corner. The pain and suffering of the cross and the separation from his father as he becomes sin for us. That's just a few days away. But even with that, he is going to love his own. That's what he centers on here. And he, and he knows the heartache and the fear that's going to come their way in just a few days. And yet, he's going to teach them something that they are going to remember for the rest of their lives. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his name and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking his towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water on in the basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, and wipe them with a towel which he was girded. He takes on the form of a servant. They all know what, what that picture is. They're all familiar with going into a house where there were servants, and, and when you entered in, you were going to have dusty feet, and one of the first things that happened is a servant was going to come to you with a pan of water and a towel around them, and they were going to say, one moment and bow down and take care of your feet. So, they all knew that picture. Now, here's what they're struggling with. Here's what Peter's struggling with. Creator God, the Messiah, who he believes is going to immediately become ruler, physical ruler of the world, Rome and all the rest, is not acting like that. He's not acting like the king he's supposed to be. He's acting like a servant. This disturbs Peter to no end. Peter doesn't like this. It, it's, it's almost repulsive to him. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a businessman. He is a fisherman. He is a man of men. He's the one that can strip off his coat on the, in the boat and dive in the water and beat everybody to shore because he's powerful and he's strong. He's the one that whips out the knife and cuts off the guy's ear when they go to take Jesus. He is used to being in charge, and he is used to being forceful and powerful and having authority. And that's what he expects of the king. And the king to be... Takes off his garments. Skip down to the end here in uh, 
chapter 13. We've read it, uh, but I want to pick it up again in 13 and 12, actually. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know that I have done, do you know what I have done to you? Do you understand what just happened? I, I think, uh, you know, when somebody asks you questions and you really not know whether you're supposed to answer or not, you kind of hesitate. And then in much of my schooling, the teachers asked questions that I didn't know the answer to anyway. So I was the one that didn't raise my hand very often. Um, I, I think that's what I see here with these disciples. Uh, no, I, I don't think I understand what you just did. I know what you did. <laughs> you act like a servant. Well, he says, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Peter, you've been used to authority. You've been used to being in charge. Some of the rest of you have been used to being in charge. Maybe you're in charge in your home. Maybe you're in charge in a business. Maybe you're in Whatever your circle of friends, maybe you've been in charge. But here's how we're going to do this from now on, Peter. You're going to be a servant. You are going to minister to others as a servant for the rest of your life. You are going to take off that look of authority, and you're going to put on that look of, how can I help you? I have a message. I have, a, I have something for you. May I minister to you? I want to go back here, and, and uh, I, see, I, I love the music this morning. Paul, thank you, and... And uh, Weston, that in the bulletin, that picture is perfect. And uh, I was thinking uh, this morning, look at what it takes to be a servant. Let's look a little closer at a couple verses. Let me just start back at 3, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand. <clears throat> Is that incredible? Jesus, knowing the Father. We sang about all, all these things of creation and stars and him creating them and the, everything that speaks of the glory of God and the power of God. Beautiful hymns about that. And Jesus is saying, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God. He knows who he is. There's no doubt in his mind. He's not suffering from an identity crisis. He is God. So he doesn't have to put on airs or anything else. 
he has to minister to these people. says that he had come from God and he knew he was going back to God. His job is laid out before him. But I want to call your attention to three things that come up next. He got up, he took off, and he put on. Now, I, I love to listen to black gospel preachers. And when I see this right here, I can't help but say, he got up. And you say, yeah, yeah, he did. He got up. You're not going to be a servant unless you get up. You're not, you're not going to go minister to these people unless you get up. They're reclining at a table enjoying this supper, and it says he got up. That's the first thing we have to do, young person or old person. We have to get up if we're going to be a servant. We have to turn off the TV. Now, I'm talking about conviction to myself here, but, but we, ha we have to set aside some things that we're doing, and we've got to get up. He got up. Amen. Yeah, he got up. That's the first step. And I want to tell you, in my own life, that's a hard one. That, that, that is a hard one. That takes the power of God in me for me to get up and want to minister to you. Because I don't really care about you that much, I find out. <laughs> okay? But God says you have to have compassion. That's the first step. That's what gets you up. If I look around and I see somebody hurting or I know that you need to know the Word of God or I see you being misled by some false teaching and somebody comes to me and says, boy, have you heard, oh, what's his face? He's real, man, they really got a program there and that, it's awesome. And they got the, the it's full of people. I had a friend phone me not long ago and whew, he, he said to me on the phone, he said, man, I've been listening to, and he named a, a really popular um, name it and claim it guy. And he said, oh, that was, he's really positive about things. I'm thinking, oh, my God. Yeah. Get in the Word. Know what God says. So those are the kind of things that motivate me. If I, if I think that there's error, if I, I, I realize that my family or my church family or my loved ones are being duped, uh, I want to say something about it. I want to study about it. I want to I look at God's word about it, and I want to bring a warning. Admonish. That's what admonish means, to bring a warning. So, but if, if i got to love you enough to do that. And i got to love you enough to do that, even though you may look at me and say, I, you know what, I wish you wouldn't talk like that about that error or whatever. Uh, that's okay. But i, I got to get up. Now, the next thing he did, he, what is the next thing he did? He took off his garment. What, what were his garments? 
they were the things that showed that he was a man, a man of influence. He wasn't dressed poorly. He, wasn't, he didn't look like a pauper. He had the ordinary clothes of the day that showed who he was. He had to take them off. He had to take them off. Because you couldn't be wearing those and wear that towel at the same time. That's another hard thing to do. To get that look off my face that says I'm in charge. I had to take that off. I got to take that look off my face that says, I'm privileged and you're not, so maybe I can help you, maybe I can't, you poor soul. I got to take that look off my face. I got to take that attitude out of my heart. I got to take that kind of clothes off. I got to put myself in that other person's shoes. That's not easy. That's as, that's as hard as getting up. And then I get up and then I go, oh yeah, but I'm gonna look kind of <laughs> I'm gonna look kind of pitiful. Or I'm gonna look kind of vulnerable if I put myself in that position of just serving. Somebody's got to not really know who I am, how important I am. I mean, I don't know how many times that thought must have went through Peter's mind from then on. Do you know who I am? <laughs> I, I spent time with Jesus. I'm one of the 12 disciples. No, no, I'm a servant of Jesus. You've got to have compassion but you have to have humility. And that's the part that we have oftentimes a struggle with, of having our pride in the way of our ministry. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. No? Who are you? Well, I hope I'm a servant of the Lord. I hope I'm a servant of the Lord. I hope I can take off my false sense of who I am and how important I am. I hope I can take that off so I can minister to other people. You know, we can do some awful good things for people and still wear that same outer garment. You know who I am? I'm here to minister to you. You don't know how lucky you are. Yeah. We've got to take that off. And, and that's not easy. That's not easy. I, th I think that's something I need to pray about. And I and I need to catch the vision of getting up and taking off. But then there's the putting on. 
I've got to put on the towel. I've got to wipe the feet of other people. Are you serious? Clean up after them? Why? <laughs> they wouldn't be in that condition if they weren't so stupid. I'm born in the same country they are, and I've lived in the same community they are. And look at me. I don't, I don't have that, those issues. What's the matter with them? Well, there could be a lot of things that matter with them. And there could be a lot of things that went wrong that was their fault, and a lot of things that went wrong that weren't their fault. That really doesn't make any difference. We're to minister to people. Last week I brought that example of uh, Miss Chow at Berkeley and how that, that whole community that she is in have just been after her and calling her names and calling her a bigot and all the rest. And she's looking at them and saying, they're hurting. They're hurting. I read Voice of the Martyrs, and, and I read about people who have their husbands been killed or, they, or they've had a finger chopped off or they've lost a child to, this, to, the, to just crazy people as far as I'm concerned. And what do they do? They say, I'm praying for them. They're lost. They need Jesus. Boy, that's humility. That's humility. That's awesome. So we got to get up. And we've got to take off, and we've got to put on. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Preach it. Yes. We get a little excited about our faith once in a while, huh? And, and, and see what God wants to do with us in our lives. I, I want to bring this over uh, this Sunday and next Sunday into church leadership and also church. Uh, leadership in the home. Today, I'll finish up with getting into church leadership. The idea of taking that, that um, compassion and that humility and purpose. You see, what the, the thing here is I need to mention again, really emphasize this. In chapter 13, verse 15, he says, for I give you an example that you also should do as I do to you. Christ had love for them, and he had humility, but he had a purpose. He had a purpose. He wanted to show them an example. And I think if we live with that purpose in mind, that it's going to change a whole lot of things on, on how we live and what we do. Because I have a purpose. Now, I have, on occasion, been a little upset with people. Yeah, maybe that's not your problem. But I have, on occasion, maybe said something that wasn't quite godly. I don't know if you do that. But you know what? A thought goes through my mind. 
what if that person were to come to church where I go to church? And I'm out there in this world, and I, I, I'm, I'm telling them how wrong they were about something or how they've uh, not done it the way I wanted it to be done or whatever, and I haven't been too kind about it. And then all of a sudden I think, what if that person shows up in church Sunday and I'm preaching? You know, there must have been a really strange and awkward situation in the New Testament. When Paul sent the runaway slave home, figure this out. Here's a guy that was a slave, and slaves in that day were for a number of reasons, not necessarily any racial overtones about that at all. Oftentimes it was one Jewish fellow selling himself into the home for the other Jewish people because he was in debt. So he became their servant. Nevertheless, Onesimus runs away, he's getting sent home, and now he comes back into that body of believers and Paul says, accept this guy, he's coming back. Uh, I've had some, I've d- d- discipled him and he, he's coming back. Okay, now, now we have a church situation where this guy used to be and he comes back having just been to school with Paul the Apostle. He's a slave. So he goes to Sunday school class, and they say, well, you've been with Paul. Why don't you teach us? And his owner is sitting right here, and he's sitting right here, and he gets up, and now he's teaching this book. Now, I just can see all kinds of situations in my mind. I'm wondering how this owner is going to be treating this slave from now on, his servant. It changes everything when we realize we're all one in the body of Christ, whether slave or free man. And it goes on, male or female make any difference. We're all one in the body of Christ. So we are to be an example. That ought to give us pause about how we live, how we talk, how we encourage one another outside of the church doors. Let me quickly go to some scripture having to do with elders. Um, Turn to Acts chapter 20 with me. I think that would be a good place to go. Acts chapter 20. Now, there's some elders in here, and so they're going to be listening, and the rest of you can just eavesdrop if you'd like. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now, behold, I'm bound by the Spirit. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, next knowing, uh, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me, but I do not consider my life of any account or dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry, the servanthood, 
which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And he's stopping by, and he's going to see the elders at Ephesus. And now I behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. That's the background in which he gives a little lesson to the elders. This is who I am. I am probably going to be going to Jerusalem and be in bonds, arrested. But that's okay because my life is not near as important as your life. They're servanthood. Now, he says to them, the elders, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among you which the Holy Spirit made you an overseer to shepherd this church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I'm going to tell you that that is one solemn verse if you're a leader of a church, if you're an elder, if you're in a position of leadership. He just said that I want you to shepherd the most important thing that I can give you, the body of Christ that I purchased with my blood. Wow. If that doesn't drop a sense of fear and foreboding on a church leader, nothing will. He says in 31, Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish you, each one with tears. There's that humility again. It's not Paul the great apostle. It's not Paul the big uh, formerly Jewish leader. No, it's Paul the servant who cries out and cries and admonishes and warns people. His heart is so moved in love for them. He said, that's an example for you. And now I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He's talking to the leaders and saying, this is what I did, and this is the attitude that you're to have. No, uh, let's go back to Acts chapter 6. I just want to mention this for a moment in, a, in one passage in, in um, Timothy. Acts chapter 6. He, he is telling them um, in these other passages and all through Scripture, I'm not, I'm not taking time to read all the instruction to elders, but it is mostly about being faithful to teach the Word. And here in chapter 6, it says, uh, verse 1, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve leaders here summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve the tables. Therefore, brethren, select from you among, among you seven men. 
One of the great temptations that I experienced as a, as a pastor elder is a desire to serve tables, a desire to, to meet people's physical needs, a desire to be involved in their life. And there's nothing the matter with that. But you can see that right here, their mission was almost compromised because they were getting so busy with the business of the church. The business of the church. And not the word of God and prayer. It is quite a calling to be called what a, a, a leader in a church or an elder. And it's so important that we get into the word. Why is that so important? Well, let, let me just tell you this. That in Revelation, in the book of, uh, in Revelation, when it's talking about the church at Ephesus, it says that the church of Ephesus, you were a, you are a serving church. You are full of good works. You are so wanting to meet the needs of other people. And then he says, but I have one thing against you that you've lost your first love. And unless you regain it, he says, I'm going to come down there and take your candlestick away from there. Take, in, take the light that you are shining away from there. Unless you get back to your first love. The first love of believers in the church should always be the love of Christ, the love of his word. We only can grow in our love for Christ by digging in his word and understanding his word because then we know who he is and what he has planned for us and what he has done for us. We learn about his character. We learn about the failure of, uh, of others and his reaction to that failure. We learn of his love and his compassion and his mercy. We, we learn of his power and his greatness. We, we learn of his sovereignty as we study the word. So, we're told, don't get away from your first love by letting service and things overwhelm your knowledge, your growth, your love for the Lord Jesus. I tell you, I'm really prone to do that. I am wired to get out of the house and, and go and do this or do that. I'm not so wired to spend time in studying God's Word. What really motivates me to do that is to know that one of you just one of you might need to have a, this particular message today. That it might change your life, it might, it might cause you to think, you might be a, not a Christian and you're coming to church with some friends and you haven't trusted your life in Christ. And it, that message of that word of God that day may spark in you the desire to know Jesus.
that, that's what drives me. That, that's what should drive us all. And we got just be, have, he says in Colossians, let the word of God richly dwell within you. Turn with me to 1 Timothy, and I'll close with this passage. I will, I will, I promise I will. What's it mean when the preacher takes off his watch and looks at it? And the little boy said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> He's just going to keep right on going. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. The elders who rule, rule well, are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you should not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Now that's interesting because what it's talking about there is sometimes a, a person that has been set aside to uh, be an elder and it's, uh, his work is so consuming that he can't make a living for himself, then he needs to be paid. Now I teach in this church and I teach in Cottonwood community. Both this church and that church do not pay elders. And those that preach are volunteer. And that's awesome. And often we say, there and here, and are proud of this fact, and I'm proud of it too, that look at our budget and how we are able to um, minister and support missionaries around the world, local and around the world. That's awesome. But, but the scripture also says, and when Jesus was talking to the elders at Ephesus, he said, Be, uh, guard yourselves and others. Part of, of that thing, again, back to the church at Ephesus, we can be a doing church and not taking time to grow. And so sometimes in the body of Christ, it is necessary, and I'm not saying here or there. I'm just saying we need to be aware of the scripture that says sometimes we need to set a person aside that's going to spend a whole lot of time in the word and prayer. Why? So that we can be richly fed. So we can be richly fed. And if we can do that, and still have our own jobs, and we're privileged to be able to do that as they are in Cottonwood and here, that's, that's fine. But that doesn't necessarily make it the only way it's done. There are... I'm going to leave you with this. If you're right with God and you're close fellowship with Him, you're being changed by the Word, then you will always be doing and serving. See, you don't need to get to doing and serving first. If you're right with God, if you're going in the Word, um, if you're in close fellowship with Him, you will always be doing and serving. Compassion, humility, and purpose. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to have a prayer put up on the on the overhead. It's an elder's prayer. Uh, written by a very um, 
dynamic and educated pastor. Me. That was a joke. I'm going to read this prayer, and I ask the elders that are here to stand up. The, the, you, you that are elders, just stand, just stand up. Just put you on the spot. Just stand up. We see them here. We see them here. Now you know who they are. Uh-huh. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the Lord and Master of the universe, of the world, and of my life. Thank you for rescuing me from the domain of darkness and transferring me into the kingdom of your Son. In this kingdom, you have given me a responsibility for which in myself I am totally inadequate. Teach me to be a man of your precious holy word. Teach me to be an earnest praying servant on behalf of others. I confess, I all too often find myself entangled in the affairs of this world and forfeit the precious needed time with you in your word and in prayer. Make this wandering heart one of compassion and passion for you and for others. Rid me of the pride and independent of independence that hinders me from serving others with humility. Lord, help me to always be about the purpose for which you have called me, that is to protect and equip the precious saints under our care. With praise and thanksgiving, I confess you as my Savior. Heavenly Father, thank you for our body, and thank you for these men who serve us as elders. Lord, you've called them to a daunting, daunting responsibility and task. Lord, help us to encourage them to be the men that they need to be. Lord, help us to remember to hold them up in prayer that their lives might be protected from the fiery darts of Satan who, who wants to cause havoc in their lives. He wants to get them off base so they won't be good examples to us. Lord, help and protect them. We thank you for them, and we thank you for your word in Christ's name. Amen.